Are you ready to become the top in your field? Welcome to the Tradeswoman Talk podcast, a show designed for you, one that strives to forge solidarity amongst tradeswomen. For years, this has been a predominantly male-driven industry. However, we are now entering a new era, one where whatever we truly desire can be ours. Like we have been saying, jobs don't have genders. On this show, we'll share information with each other as a collective to empower each other. Share with us your trade secrets as we share ours with you. It's our time to do more than survive. It's our time to thrive. We're happy to have you here with us on the Tradeswoman Talk podcast. And now, your hosts of the show, Judalyn, Cassidy, and Andrea Harris. Tradeswoman Talk is brought to you by SupplyHouse.com, home to over 180,000 plumbing, heating, and HVAC supplies. SupplyHouse.com offers pros free shipping, returns, exclusive deals, and a dedicated phone line as part of their Trades Master program. SupplyHouse.com is also devoted to putting trades professionals in the spotlight with the Trade Master of the Month program. Each month, a SupplyHouse.com Trades Master is featured, allowing them to share their stories and experiences of working in the trades. You can nominate a Trades Master of the Month by visiting SupplyHouse.com slash TM of the Month. Welcome, welcome, and thanks for joining us on another episode of Tradeswoman Talk. My name is Judalyn Cassidy. I am a plumber, keynote speaker, and the CVO, which is the Chief Visionary Officer of the nonprofit organization Tools and Tiaras, Inc. And with me is my co-host and friend, Andrea Harris. Hi, I'm Andrea Harris, mother to a handsome son, co-director at Tools and Tiaras, the only female cement mason at FDNY, and the real cement mason in the... Dove Beauty Bar commercial. Hey, thank you. On this episode of Tradeswoman Talk, my guest is my friend my and an ally of labor. Before we begin our chat with Joe, let's learn about him from his bio. Joe Maniscalco is a New Yorker. He was born and raised in New York. He was and has been working in journalism in New York City for more than 25 years, He's devoted the better part of his last decade covering the labor movement and workplace justice issues for Labor Press, where he serves as a senior editor. Joe's labor reporting can also be found at dcreport.org. Joe is one of the hosts of the radio show Blue Collar Buzz. Hey, Joe. Thanks for joining us on Tradeswoman Talk. We are so, so happy and honored that you are joining us here today. Well, I'm honored that you invited me. I'm I'm very happy to be here. Hey, Joe, before we get into the questions, I love to play this game with my guests and see, you know, I learned Uh-oh. a little bit about them. Yeah, it's it's fun. <laughs> don't don't get you know, but here's the rules to this. It's called our five and five. You get five questions and you only have two options, Joe. Most people try to cheat and bring in their own option, but you can only choose the two options that I present. So, Joe, are you ready? Let's do it. All right. He's ready. 
Let's grab a slice. Is it going to be thin crust or deep dish? Thin. Definite New Yorker. <laughs> you have enough frequent flyer miles to go on vacation. Where is it going to be? Hawaii or Alaska? Uh, that's tough because uh, we're actually contemplating that right now. Uh, I think Alaska. I thought so. <laughs> I love the snow. That's what I figured. Where would you be rattle lost on a mountain or an island? Uh, hmm. Probably a mountain. Nice. Which union inspired movie would you recommend? Hoffa or North Country? Uh, yeah, Hoffa was good. Uh, <laughs> I, I go with Hoffa. Okay, nice. So, Joe, the zombies have taken over. It's time to find a team to survive with. Which superhero would you want to be on your team? Daredevil or Luke Cage? Oh, that's tough because Daredevil has extrasensory perception, so he could hear the zombies before they come. Right. You know, but then again, Luke Cage could just crack their heads open. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd rather have the option of getting out of there before they descend on us. So mm -hmm. I'll probably go with Dee Dee. Okay, so thank you. See, it's very thank you for doing that. It's really fun. <laughs> so I know that you're going to take the daredevil. I would. I thought maybe uh, Luke Cage being that he's uh, in New York City right now. <laughs> but you can get, you know, you Luke Cage can get swarmed really quick. You get a horde of, of zombies. You know, there's not much you can do. You best getting out of there. <laughs> yes, you you definitely definitely right. So, what was your childhood like growing up in New York City, and what keeps you connected to New York City? I had a great childhood. I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn, in the late seventies. Uh, I was like a half a block away from uh, beautiful Highland Park, so it was to me it was like country living. We had everything that a uh, you know a country kid. You know, we did all of those things uh, that country kids do. And plus, we had the, the street where we just endless games, Skelzy, Punchball, Ringolivio. It's just, you know, it goes on and on. Everyone that's had this experience knows what I'm talking about. I can't see myself. I love to travel and I want to travel. I have traveled a lot. I want to travel a lot more. But I always like the idea of having New York be my home. It's the place that's most real to me. I mean, other places seem like alternate versions. Like if you don't want to be in New York for whatever reason, you run out to Long Island or you run out to another state. But New York is real. I mean, it's real life. I mean, it's every, every person from every walk of life is here. And you meet them and you interact with them on a daily basis. And you, you don't find that. I mean, it's... Of course, there's other great places, you know, in the world, but that, you know, that essential nature, you don't find that anywhere else. Yeah. And as a New Yorker, you're always comparing everywhere you go to New York. So yeah. I understand that. <laughs> now, Joe, at what age did you, did you decide that this is it? I, I want to be a journalist. Journalism is it for me. What, what age was that? And what, what, what was that epiphany like? I mean, I went to uh, Long Island University, Brooklyn campus, and, and studied journalism there. It was just really, really, very practical for me. You know, I knew I had some ability to write. 
And I came from a very poor household, you know, what they used to call a broken family. So I had to figure out what can I do? How do I make a living? And I was like, well, what's the most practical way to earn a living as a writer? And I was like, well, that's probably journalism. You know, I'm always, always interested in social justice issues. So I figured, oh, yeah, I can make this work. You know, I've tried to do my whole career is try to do that kind of work, but at the same time, avoid corporate America, which I feel is, uh, you know, it's uh, destroying the country. So I've tried to, you know, build a journalism career without going the corporate route. And so far, I've been pretty successful. Joe, what does your day-to-day life look and consist of? Like, you get up in the morning, what's the first Uh, thing you do? Open up my eyes, and uh, it's really tough now because of the pandemic. It's really a drag, you know, because I'm used to being out every day, you know, running around, covering different events and rallies, and just ducking into a, a coffee shop and, you know, banging out a story. And now, you know, that's that's largely being curtailed. You know, that's not, you know, people are are not demonstrating as much and you can't like run down and interview somebody face to face. So it's a lot more confined. Something I'm really looking forward to finally ending and being able to get out. And while this is great, this is a great platform to talk to you. You know, it's really nice being able to sit across the table with somebody, you know, and talking to them. Absolutely. You know, coronavirus has slowed everyone down quite a bit. Um, Church people don't usually love the spotlight or even just opening up to people that they don't even really know. How do you go about featuring them in articles so that they feel comfortable opening up to you? LaborPress.org has been around for like since 2009. And since I've been there in 2012, my whole thrust of everything I'm trying to do is is trying to put the focus on working people, everyday working people. People have to get up in the morning and go to a job and build something or make something, move something to earn a living. And I just try to convey that to people. It's like, I'm interested in that story. I want to hear your story. I want to hear what your experience is like. What is it like having to do what you need to do to provide for yourself and your family or extended family? And let people know, I was like, you know, I'm interested in the story and I'm, I'm interested in, in staying with these kind of stories. It's not just going to be a hit and run type of deal. It's like, you know, at, we're at Labor Press. This is our news beat. This is what we're doing. We're, we're featuring people, working people. I mean, the whole philosophy I have at Labor Press is like, who's going to read Labor Press? Well, if you have to work for a living, that's who should be reading Labor Press. And that's hopefully people get that. And, and, you know, after a while, you become a little bit known. And so people like you, Judeline, you might say, oh, yeah, talk to Joe. He, you know, he, he's a good guy and he'll, uh, he'll represent you well. He'll reflect exactly what you, you conveyed to him, you know, without any kind of uh, agenda behind it. I really love that about you. I've been asked a lot of questions by, like, other news reporters and stuff like that. And they're always trying to, I got you questions, but you've always been a man of your word and really honest in the way you've asked questions of me. And also some of my friends, when I listen to them on your radio show, and I respect that about you. And that's why I really wanted you on the show because 
I don't see you as a person who just wants to use our stories for your benefit. You're really interested in really sharing what we are actually experiencing. So since you have a front row seat at most labor rallies and social justice protests, what insights have you learned about yourself and the people you write about? Doing this really helps you define what's important to you and what drives you, you know, what interests you. You know, I, I could be doing something else if it, you know, if it wasn't journalism, or I could be in another area of journalism. But like, what makes me want to do this? And I did I have discovered over the years, you know, I guess it, it was always there, but I really do have this interest in social justice issues and and workplace justice issues and how, uh, you know, people in this country are treated. And you know, once you open that door, you, you can't close that. Yeah, and that's a wealth of knowledge that, you know, we just didn't get in school. And you realize that, you know, the true history of, of this country and how it's, it's always been built on the backs of working people and how working people continually get the short end of the stick. What I learned about the, the movement in that time, it needs to be a lot more energetic. I think it needs to listen to the, the women in the ranks a lot more. The, the most militant part of the labor movement right now, in the last few years, it's been women. You look at the fight for 15, you look at the, the, the teacher strike. Right now, you look at uh, the Amazon workers in, in Alabama. Most of those people are great. Many of those people are women of color. You know, they're leading the fight. That's what we need. We got to break the status quo because we're at a precipice here. And, you know, people really... You know, people, they always talk about having a seat at the table. Working people need to have a seat throughout the whole process, not Absolutely. just, not just uh, one little time we'll uh, call you in. You know, we got to you know, be there right from the very beginning. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Joe, you've written a lot of stories about social justice, the labor movement. What story is near and dear to your heart or was considered a labor of love for you? If there was one story that stood out, what story would that be? Well, I remember like right, you know, prior to coming to Labor Press, I really didn't cover the labor movement. You know, I came out of the community newspaper environment where it's just like everything and anything. That's what you cover. So when I came to Labor Press, I really, you know, started concentrating on the labor movement. And one of the first things I did was the stories of this young construction worker. He was just about to get married. A young guy, maybe maybe thirty, you know, early, you know, late twenties, early thirties. He was just about a couple of weeks away from getting married, and uh, he fell. He fell on the, on the job site, and he's paralyzed. And the big issue was at that time was the, the scaffolding law. You know, do we keep the scaffolding law in place? You know, there's always Every year in New York State, they try to water it down or peel it back, you know, because the owners, the scaffolding law says that, you know, the, whoever runs the, the job site is responsible for the safety on that site. So they're trying to roll it back because they're saying, you know, it's too expensive, you know, to, to pay out these kind of lawsuits. And now I look at this, this young guy. So what? Who cares? What, whatever kind of money he gets. I mean, he needs that just to survive. The rest of his life, you know, with some kind of quality of life, that sticks with me. I always think of that guy because, yeah, as far as I know, he's still struggling. You know, mm -hmm. that, that fall doesn't go away. 
Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. Um, a lot of people really don't even know how dangerous um, construction is. It's a beautiful thing, but it's also dangerous. My daughter was just visiting and she said to me, uh, she's a local 28 sheet metal worker. And one of the guys yeah. on her job just died, you know, a, a fellow coworker. And like you said, it's a beautiful thing. You make good money, but now his family's out of that income. And uh, now, you know, as union members, we really do fight to support our fallen brothers and, and take care of their families. Like it's something that one of the things I love about being a union member is that fact that we, we come together for our fallen. And, and I know you were part of it and you've seen it, the struggle of us in with union and non-union really fighting for better quality of life uh, for construction workers. You've seen that. What, how were you surprised to see that movement happen and with between uh, the two I'm parties. I'm surprised, but uh, I'm really gratified that it is happening because that's what needs to happen is working people who are in these little silos. They got to break it out, break out of those silos and realize it doesn't matter if you're a firefighter, a school teacher, construction worker, a motorman, you're all in the same boat. You're all in the yeah. same class. You're the working class. The reason why we continue to struggle and get the short end of the stick is because we're all in these disparate little camps. You know, in the labor movement, everyone likes to say solidarity, but that's an ideal. You know, you know, day to day on the ground, that's not the truth. That's not what happens. That's not what is going on. We need that solidarity across all kinds of sectors in order to achieve any kind of uh, advancement. Yeah, I've heard you talk great. about a seat at the table. I've heard you talk about solidarity. In a perfect world, what would the labor movement look like for you? In a perfect world, it, it would be uh, it would reflect New York. It would reflect a reality of, of people in all different walks of life. That's what the labor movement should look like. I mean, the labor movement has always been the most powerful, most potent when it's fought for social justice issues. I mean, when it was the most inclusive, you know, the most groundbreaking. That's when the labor movement would have the most power. We should be living in a world where any kind of enterprise that is begun has workers in there at the very beginning and throughout the whole process. Not just, you know, hired hired hands you know, that are disposable. Absolutely. Totally agree. Solidarity in practice, really meaning it and practicing it is where we have to find our strength. Just imagine that if you, we had that solidarity and uh, you pass a construction site and then you, you, you know, you saw that, the, you know, the workers were on strike and then, uh, you know, a bus driver decides, hey, I'm not going to go that site. Why? Well, because my fellow brothers and sisters mm -hmm. are striking there. If you had that kind of real solidarity, mm -hmm. you can shut things down and you can assert yourself, you assert your power. Absolutely. I remember being outside because I worked outside in high rise construction a few years ago and we had an issue like that. And I believe it was the elevator operators that were on strike and we walked up and they were outside and they were like, we're striking and no one went in that building. And they ended up ratifying their contract because we all decided that tools down, we're not doing this. And we all stood together. That word again, solidarity. And I work for the city and I've seen the union change so much, conforming to a lot of the times the, the owners 
And it, sometimes it's just a little, it's a little disheartening for me, you know, because I, I remember the biggest thing with unionism was strength in numbers. And it almost feels like the strength is dwindling. So, Well, no doubt. I mean, sadly, that's, that's, the, that's a trend that's been going on for, what, 75 years now. You know, it's when they, they hollowed out all the real militant activists from the unions. And today we get what we get because of that. We need to re- revitalize that. We need to break down these silos and we got to really draw on the membership, the rank and file, all of that talent that's there and all that energy that's there. Everybody's got to be mm-hmm. more democratic. People have got to be, have a, in their own unions, they, they need, you know, more than a seat at the table. Totally agree. Can you share with us one mistake you made on your path to becoming a journalist and uh, what did it teach you? Well, there's plenty of days when I think of just going on the path of becoming a journalist was a mistake. You know, that whole thing, you know, <laughs> like when the, when the rent is due or you know, my girlfriend decides that, oh, we want to buy a house. Well, maybe I made a mistake and. <laughs> and doing this kind of thing. You know, you're constantly learning as a journalist. You know, we spoke before about, uh, you know, how to conduct interviews. I mean, that's something I really didn't learn in school, you know, when I made a journalist. You got you learn that by by doing it. There's plenty of mistakes I made by just not realizing that you get the most, like for his example, like I learned this very early on, you get your most uh, salient, your most important quotes after the interview is over because people are relaxed and they think, oh, the depression is not on me anymore. Yeah. And then they'll, they'll tell you something and you can either use yeah. it, you know, and say, hey, uh, can I use that? Or that'll lead you to something else. You know, another angle of the story that you didn't know was there. Just little things like that. Yeah. So it's considered a labor of love. <laughs> well, it's like, what else am I going to do? I mean, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to be under. You in it? You know? Yeah, in it. Like, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. So, um, my final question is, you know, how do you stay motivated, and what brings you joy? That is the question again. What brings me joy? As professionally, yeah. I mean. I do gripe about this job a lot, you know, because, you know, it's a struggle. You're just trying to survive as a non-corporate working journalist. I do really get happy whenever you get a chance to speak truth to power and even a little bit, little way, because, you know, even if you make some PR guy that works for a multi-million dollar company call you back, you know, after you pester them, mm. you know, they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to have to deal with your question. You make them have to respond to you in some way. You know, that little victory makes me happy. Nice. <laughs> That's good. Nice. It is. But my final question is an easy one, a very light one. If you had to choose a trade, what would it be? And don't say plumber. And don't say plumber. <laughs> Just don't. Well, I, thought about, I thought about this a long time. It's like, I had the opportunity to interview, uh, you know, they might've been plumbers. They might've been plumbers. Joe, sorry. I said not to say. <laughs> Joe. I'm sorry. Well, they, Speak the truth, Joe. Just like, Speak the truth. It was, it was an apprentice program yeah. and this, they were kids. Wow. This, this one kid I interviewed, he was 18 years old or 19 and 
he was recruited to join a union and he had to wait. He had to wait until his birthday. So, and then like when I talked to him, he was already working at the WTC world trade center. Oh, wow. You know, as very, very young. And I always thought, well, that's what I should have done. I should have just, you know, gone into that (laughs) and worked for five years Really save up all that money and then go off and write. And then your girlfriend would be happy to buy a house. <laughs> yeah, then we maybe we have a house in the country that we can go to half the time and we would be happy. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Thank you so much for being so honest with us, man, because a lot of people don't get that. Like in New York City, I could only talk about New York City, man. Union construction workers, we have a good life, you know, and it changes. And you can, like you said about that young man, it changes somebody trajectory huge i mean right. like for me being an immigrant a woman from another country to come to this country despite all the things struggles i might have with the union i had or have sometimes like it's the one place that yo without a college degree i could make this money and be out of work and come back and have the same job at the same rate so definitely um yeah you sh- it's it's a it's a great thing um so joe how can our listeners connect with you and um, and follow you and, f- and see the things that you are doing for the social justice movement? Well, definitely log on to laborpress.org and sign up for the newsletter there. Uh, you email me directly at joe at laborpress.org. That's joe, J-O-E, at laborpress.org. And uh, also check out dcreport.org. You know, I write about the labor movement on more of a national level okay. there. Great. And um, we'll put the links in the show notes um, for Labor Press and for uh, DC and also your Twitter and uh, Instagram so people can. Oh, yeah. Also yeah, he got that, but he thinks I, I, I yeah. put it. Some people never tell me, but I put it. <laughs> but I put it in the in the show notes. Um, Andrea, anything you want to uh, share before we close out? this? Yes. I would like to thank you, Joe, so much for joining us today at Tradeswomen Talk. I just want to thank you for giving the men and women um, in the industry a voice so they can be heard because sometimes we don't always have an outlet to do so. So thank you again for joining us. Even though you said, you know, you wanted to be a plumber, I'm not going to hold that against you. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you both. and It's been a privilege and I really appreciate you thinking thinking of me and coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I know. Joe, thank you so much for joining Andrea and I on this episode. And uh, we really appreciate you taking your time and sharing your story because you've always covered other people's stories. So I've, I've always... It's a big role of her. Yeah, and I've always been um, fascinated from the moment that we met. I've just seen your passion for covering the labor movement and social justice. And I've never met anyone like you who just, you know, as a reporter, you know, besides the workers myself, but I'm really proud and and glad to know you as a friend and ally. And thank you so much for saying yes to coming on to our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Tradeswoman Talk Podcast. Stay connected. Visit www.toolsandtiaras.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Tools and Tiaras. If you would like to connect with us, please send us an email through info at toolsandtiaras.org. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and review. Until next time, make sure you let someone know how magnificent they truly are.